So when we were heading into the underground conference last weekend, that was one of the big things I was thinking about, was how do we teach children about God? I was excited about this conference in general, just to be around like-minded people, like-minded followers of Jesus who are trying to be the church in their own community. But I think this was also one of the biggest questions on my mind. How do we teach children about God? How do we minister to children in, let's say, a microchurch setting or in any missional church, really? And so I saw on the schedule during one of the breakout sessions at the conference, there was going to be this group meeting to talk about children and families. So I planned to go to that. I went to that. And as the conference moved along, I realized pretty quickly that I was not the only one with these big questions about how do we teach our children? How do we minister to them? I felt like both at that session, the children's and families, in general sessions, in conversations with people, I felt like just this underlying question kept being asked, and it was, what about our kids? But I then quickly realized that no one was going to say, this is how you should do it. Kind of like what Dave was just sharing, that was not the conference at all. It was not, this is how you should do it. To the point where at first I felt like the conference really wasn't answering my children-related questions at all. It just reinforced things that I was already thinking about, like including children and giving them a voice, but there wasn't really anything earth-shattering or new. But since returning from the conference, this lack of an explicit answer has really become an answer for me in and of itself in a really beautiful way. No one from the underground church ever said anything about a program for kids. No one ever said, this is how you should minister to children. Nothing. But it became more and more clear that at least in their model, with microchurches, each microchurch, each gathering of people committed to serving the Lord together, they're left with the responsibility of discerning what it looks like to minister to the children in their midst. And I believe this is turning out to be the most beautiful, implicit answer that I ever could have prayed for. And during the time when my questions were still feeling kind of unanswered, Deuteronomy 6 just kept coming to my mind. Like, it was just there, like waiting, sitting there. And then, of course, we just so happened to be opening up the book of Deuteronomy this week as we read through the Bible together. And so God, once again, has pulled together pieces in a way that only he could. And in my reading this week of the book of Deuteronomy, God has continued to flesh out this answer for me, and I hope for all of us, to the question, what about our kids? God's words to me this week have felt like reminders and convictions, encouragements, and commands all in one. So I hope and pray that these words are not just for me, but that they're for our whole church family. So before we open up the word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, for your gathered church, for this body of believers, this priesthood of believers. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you for all the people who have gone before us in their faith, in the ways that you've shown yourself to be God, to be the only God. Thank you that you speak to us and that you are the same God both then and now and will always be. Spirit, I pray you would speak to us this morning, speak through your word that we may be moved. 
and that we may know you more and love you more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So just to set the scene before we read, Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Bible. It's also the fifth and last book in the written Torah. And as with the previous four books, scholars believe Moses is the writer of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy actually means second law or retelling of the law. So most of this book consists of Moses speaking to the Israelites. And at this point in scripture, the Israelites have finally made it to the Jordan River, which is just across from this good and plentiful land that God has promised them. They have escaped slavery in Egypt by the power of God and with Moses leading them. They spent a year at Mount Sinai, and it was there that they made a covenant with God and they received the Ten Commandments from him. But they also rebelled. They refused to enter the promised land when God told them, so they were punished. And an entire generation, except Caleb and his family, they were banned, this entire generation, from entering the promised land. So they wandered in the desert for 40 years, and now... Here we are at this point in scripture. They finally are about to make it and enter to the promised land. But remember, even Moses is forbidden from entering the promised land. And at this point, he's nearing his death. So he recounts Israel's history and the law given to them by God as words for his people to remember and words for his people to live by before he dies and before they enter the promised land. So really, these are Moses' parting words. And though he repeats practically everything that just took place in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, the repetition is not for nothing. So if you are reading through the Bible with us this year, do not skip the book of Deuteronomy. You will see repetition, but don't skip it. We're going to spend our time here in chapter 6 today, but I encourage you to just read this book in its fullness. Hopefully we've all learned by now that when God repeats something, we're meant to listen closely. So Moses recounts their history in chapters 1 through 4. He reminds his people that there's no other God besides God. And then in chapter 5, Moses retells the Ten Commandments aloud to the people. And this brings us to chapter 6. So we're going to read chapter 6 and then see what God has for us. So you can, you can flip to chapter 6 with me. All right, this is Moses speaking. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, 
and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, and his testimonies, and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he may bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. There's so much more, like I said, though, we're going to be staying in this chapter today. So right away in chapter 6, we see mention of children. Verse 1, Moses is reminding the Israelites to keep all these commandments when they enter the promised land. Verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God, Moses says. You and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Verse 3, hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. So children are already mentioned and included here, as Moses emphasizes these commandments to the Israelites, that they be passed down to the next generation and the next generation, and so on. Then verse 4, Moses says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Before we go any further, we should know that this line is core and foundational to the Jewish faith. It's the statement around which everything revolves, and in fact, it's become one of the first prayers that's taught to Jewish children and still is. It's a beautiful statement of acknowledging God as Lord, the one and only Lord. This prayer has become known as the Shema because the first word in this line in Hebrew is Shema. For us, it gets translated to hear. Hear, O Israel, Shema Yisrael. But something is really lost here when we translate this word into English because the beautiful word Shema means to hear or listen with the implication of obedience. So essentially this word means hear and obey, hear and do. And isn't this how we're supposed to listen to everything God says, right? To not just hear, but hear and obey Shema. I think this word is beautiful. 
So this line in Hebrew is Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So we see this prayer here that is core to the Jewish faith and to ours, really, stating to God's people that the Lord is God, the only God. And this was or is taught to children in synagogues and as morning and evening prayers that children would know who and who alone is their God and Lord. And I think there's even a seriousness and an urgency as Moses speaks these words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And it's directly following this that we hear Moses say the famous words that Jesus later recites, right, as the greatest commandment. Moses says in verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. We know when Jesus speaks this later, he adds mind, love the Lord your God with all your mind. And he also adds that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. But here, Moses reminds the Israelites of God's command to love him with everything that they have, with everything that they are. And this command, this greatest commandment, follows the Shema. So this foundation of God's lordship is the very basis for this command to love him. The very first reason to even listen and obey his commandments in the first place is that he is God. The commandments follow his lordship, his authority, his holy identity as God overall and as their personal God. Well, the same goes for us. When we remember God's commandments, his calling upon our lives, we must first remember who God is. And when we do that, when we remember who God is, we love him. When we love God, we listen and obey. And we teach diligently our children, the next generation. Which brings us to the next verse, verse 6, Moses says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It's probably fair to say that this is the part of Deuteronomy that is quoted the most, or that is the most well-known. But I'll encourage us this morning to not let the familiarity of these words hinder us from going deeper with them today, from hearing and obeying their call in our lives again and again. So Moses describes this beautiful picture of what it looks like to raise and teach children in the Lord, right? Maybe picture isn't even the right word here because really it's, it's a command. It's a calling from God. He says, you shall teach these commands diligently to your children. Diligently meaning painstakingly, characterized by earnest care and effort. He doesn't say, teach these things just on occasion when they come to your mind. He says, teach them diligently. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, in your homes, around the dinner table, in your living rooms, when you're walking down the road, when you're out and about. Talk about God and his goodness and his commandments. When you lie down and when you rise, in the evenings, in the mornings, at all times. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This isn't just some nice passage that we hang up 
and daydream about, right? Like, wouldn't it be so nice if that were life? No, this is literally meant to be life. Bind them as a sign on your hand and on your foreheads. Do everything in your power, everything you need to do to remember that God is God and he has called you to a holy and beautiful life. Write them on your doorposts and gates. Make your home places where people know that you love, serve, and worship God, the only Lord our God. Church, this is the passage I can't get off my mind lately. This is the passage that God has been using to speak when I first felt like my question of how to raise children in the Lord was not being easily answered. But now I'm not sure if that question can be more easily answered than by Moses' words here in Deuteronomy. Because the thing is, in the same way that the greatest commandment boils down to loving God and loving our neighbors, I believe raising our children in the Lord boils down to this chapter. And in this chapter, I hear five things. Daily rhythms, tribe mentality, sharing stories, intergenerational kingdom, and treating God as God. So as we've just read, Moses lifts off basically all the places we go, all the things that we do. We don't see here a program for children because ministering to children is not meant to be a program any more than ministering to adults is meant to be a program. Ministering the love of God to people is life. And in Deuteronomy, we see just that. We see daily rhythms of loving God and talking about him with children. We see here a way of life called by God upon his people, not once a week, daily rhythms. Tribe mentality. Now, maybe here we could just use the word family, but I want to stretch our minds a bit and keep in mind that we, Western society and church, put much too large an emphasis on the nuclear family. Let's remember that God has placed us in a much larger, much more important family, the kingdom of God, and that the nuclear family does not belong on a pedestal. So I see tribe mentality in the scripture we are reading today primarily because Moses is speaking to the 12 tribes of Israel. Later in Deuteronomy, before he dies, Moses blesses the Israelites, and he does this tribe by tribe. And I'm struck by this thought in this passage because I believe that this calling is not just for parents. This calling is for parents, yes, but this calling is for everyone, whether we have children or not. Whether we're married, single, old, young, it doesn't matter. I believe that when Moses is speaking to the Israelites here, saying, you shall teach these commandments diligently to your children, I believe the you is everyone, and the your means everyone's children. So I call them our children, though we are not all parents, because we share the responsibility of raising the children who are in our midst, who are in our tribe. We also see in Deuteronomy a real emphasis on generational ties. An entire generation of people were forbidden from entering the promised land. So the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years, and once it was time and they arrived near the promised land, it would be a new generation under the leading of Joshua entering the promised land. We see several times in this book, not just in chapter 6, where Moses emphasizes that the people tell their son and their son's son, their children and their children's children. 
that they may also love God, fear God, and follow God. So church, family, tribe, it is our collective responsibility to raise up the children in our midst, the next generation in the Lord. And we see sharing stories. So if you look a little further in chapter 6 and verse 20, Moses says, When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. Moses says, when your child asks you about God, about the meaning of his statutes and commandments, you share your testimony with them. You tell him how the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of slavery, and he did great and grievous things. Let's remember that the exodus out of Egypt for the Israelites was also a mass genocide of the Egyptians. And God did that. Like, this is a God to be feared and loved. Brothers and sisters, we are supposed to share history and personal testimonies of God's goodness, his power, his great and grievous acts. And we have even more history and power and testimony to share than the Israelites did at that time because we live on the other side of the cross. We live after the life and death and resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. So how much more then should we always be talking of the amazing things that God has done in history and in our very own hearts and lives? We see daily rhythms, tribe mentality, sharing stories, and intergenerational kingdom. We see here in Deuteronomy a glimpse of this intergenerational kingdom that God has created for us that we have the privilege of being part of. God didn't just make us so we begin life as an adult, right? We begin life as an infant in the womb, and then out in the world, a baby, a toddler, a child, a preteen, a teen, an adult. The church, capital C, is the body of Christ. The body, which is made up of many parts, many people, many ages. May we not be so quick to put children in their own category. Are they not just younger versions of us? Young humans. Even the word children can make some people feel anxious, but church, can we just remember the basic truth that we're, we're one? The kingdom of God, I believe, is the only group of people that is truly intergenerational. I mean, where else do we see so many generations of people joined together under one name, under one purpose, under one mission, under one way of life? And as time goes on, it seems that life out in this world just keeps getting more and more separate. Babies here, young children here, older children here, teenagers, preteens, young adults, middle adults, older adults. Like, are there really any other gatherings of people, not just where children and adults coexist, but where children and adults together have meaningful, life-changing 
godly, spurring one another on relationships. I have friends ranging from very young to very old. And I love that so much. But I wouldn't have that if not for the kingdom of God. Intergenerational relationships are important. And they are vital to all of our growth in the Lord. And they are part of this calling that we have from God as part of his kingdom. And lastly, treating God as God. As I've read Deuteronomy this week, this is one of the things I've been most personally moved by. The way that Moses calls the Israelites to remember God. Remember that he is God and you are not. Remember not to make false idols. Remember when you enter the promised land not to carve a golden calf again or anything else for that matter. Remember how no other God has ever done or will ever do the things that the Lord our God has done. Remember that we should fear God and love God for our good always. Just take care lest you forget the Lord. And maybe we kind of want to brush that off like, how could I forget the Lord, right? But we do. Every time we sin, we forget the Lord. We forget that he is God and we are not. We forget to love him, to fear him, to obey him. So brother, sister, are you treating God as God? Church, are we loving God with everything we have and are? Are we fearing God because we know his power is real? Are we letting God be God? If not, then this must start with us. We must repent. We must confess. We must be right with God and allow him to reign. But if we can just see God for who he really is, the amazing holy, set-apart, all-powerful, creator of life itself, sovereign and able to do anything he pleases, gracious and happy to give us his kingdom, loving enough to die and save us. When we treat God as God in our own hearts and lives, our children will learn to see God as God. When we treat God as God in our own hearts and lives, everything else follows. The calling we see here in Deuteronomy 6 suddenly becomes second nature when we treat God as God. And this question, what about our kids, suddenly becomes the wrong question when we treat God as God. The better questions are these. Brothers and sisters, do we love God with all our heart, soul, and strength such that he pours out of us and we can't help but give our children this beautiful, full, whole picture of a powerful God that we both love and fear? Church, do we see ourselves, non-parents and parents alike, do we see ourselves in this calling to raise up our children, the next generation in the Lord? Church, do we choose calling over convenience? Do we accept the reality that with children, life is challenging and sacrificial, but it is also so very beautiful? Jesus said, no greater life than to lay down your life for your friends. I think we could say children there, right? Than to lay down your life for your children. 
Church, do we identify as one body, that we are better together and our faith is not separate from that of our children? Do we see children as younger image bearers of God, just as able as we are to be used by the Lord our God? Brothers and sisters in Christ, are we sharing personal testimonies with children of the Lord's power in our lives that they might see God as God? And church, are we fighting to remain intergenerational because that is a vital part of identity? And this is something we don't get anywhere else. This week, the also well-known passage from the Gospels came to my mind. One of the. It's found in three of the Gospels, all except John, and it's one of the many moments in his ministry where Jesus is teaching to a crowd. And then there's, there's this moment where people start bringing him children so that he could lay his hands on them and pray and these people get rebuked, only to have Jesus interrupt and say, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And it didn't really hit me until this week that it was the disciples who rebuked the people for bringing forward children for Jesus to lay his hands on. It wasn't Pharisees or tax collectors or anyone trying to catch Jesus in a trap. It was the disciples, the people who had dedicated their lives to following Jesus and learning from him, the people who walked with him. I can't help but wonder, disciples, is there anything that we are doing to keep our children from coming to Jesus? Unintentionally, yes, but... Is there anything we are doing to act like the disciples in this moment to put up walls and keep our children from coming to the Lord, their God? This calling in Deuteronomy does not leave room for teaching kids a small God. It does not leave room for watering down God because that is not God. This way of life does not leave room for giving children a partial picture of who God is. It does not leave room for two separate faiths, a faith for adults and a faith for children. Let's remember how God uses children to do mighty things. David was young when he was called by God. Mary, mother of Jesus, I don't have a list here, but there are many in scripture, who we might think were older than they were when God called them and used them and did powerful things through them. Not to mention the amount of times children are likely present in scripture, but just not explicitly stated. I think those moments are many. I believe God has given us all the answers that we need to figure out how to raise our children in the Lord. And it's not a program. He's given us himself, his son, his spirit, his commands, his church, his kingdom. May we be a people who treat God as God, and in doing so, we won't be able to live a life that does not, by default, teach him to our children.
So, before we take communion, I'd like to leave you with three thoughts, maybe challenges for today. Let's be talking about this, church, today, moving forward. So today, when our service ends, when you're at lunch, wherever you are, three things. One, make a new, younger friend today. Chat with them, stoop to their level. There's a group of kids that loves playing football in the side grass after church, and it's a blast. Go play football for 10 minutes. Two, think of someone who you see this Deuteronomy 6 way of life in their life and encourage them and tell them, I see you doing this, and tell them that. And then three, think, pray, talk about your next step. quote from Frozen 2, do the next right thing. What is your next step to move closer to treating God as God, to move closer to living this way of life that God calls us in Deuteronomy? Talk about what your next step is, just the next thing, and then do it. Shema, right? Hear and obey.